I want to pray once more as we make our way to our seats. I just want to pray for our city and there's a lot of summertime coming and uh, oftentimes increases violence in our city. We want to pray for God's peace and, uh, and that he would give us an influence in our community in particular. Uh, we have great things ahead of us and we want to be faithful. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for all the, the men and women, the young people you've brought here to the brook today. And Lord, we know, uh, we know that you are a God who, who breathes hope and life into hopelessness and death. And so, God, I pray, God, uh, for our city of Chicago that we love so much, Lord. And, God, we're so grieved by this the record-breaking kind of violence that has beheld our city for just too long, Lord. And uh, we we're angry by it, God. And uh, sometimes it hits closer to home than other times. And, and Lord, I don't want us to be the kind of people who, uh, who think that's, that's another neighborhood's problem. Uh, Lord, this is, this is our burden. And so, Father, whether it's close or far, we, we just bring it before you and say, Father, we pray for peace. We pray for your church throughout the city of Chicago. We thank you for great churches in our community. We thank you for, for New Life Montclair. We thank you for Belmont, for City Lights for Grace, um, for Bethany Baptist Church, uh, for Legacy House Church, God, and, and just many others. Thank, we're thankful for good churches. And we thank you for other churches throughout our city, in the north side, south side, west side, God. And Lord, we pray that you continue to unite the church in Chicago to be a voice of hope because of Jesus, especially in places where darkness reigns in a sp specific kind of way, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we pray for the peace of this city that we love. God, I, I thank you, God, for, for calling us to yourself and for, for creating this church here, God. And, Lord, thank you for putting us in this neighborhood. Thank you for the schools around us, like Steinmetz Lock and Mary Lyon and Elmwood Park. Thank you, Father, for the parks around us. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, for the communities. And, Lord, we pray that this summer we would have an influence, Lord. That we wouldn't be uh, just self-absorbed and not think about others, but that we can uh, enjoy what you've given, but also, Lord, love our neighbors. And so help us do that, God, in such a way that brings you glory. And Lord, even now as I open your word, God, I pray that you would give us a vulnerability in our hearts. Um, God, I know that hard hardness is something that, that becomes all of us sometimes when we don't want to deal with what's going on inside. And, Father, I pray that you would begin to just peel away those layers of the hearts of your people today. And, God, we do pray that you do something sweet and special as only you can do, even in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk today about freedom. About freedom. Something that we all enjoy and something we want to know personally, not just in our country, but as individuals. If you get a, a cell phone, if you got an iPhone, you know there's something called a jailbreak. And basically it's a way to unlock your phone to allow restricted apps that Apple has, or apps that Apple restricts, to allow you to be able to have access to them. Now whether it's legal or not, it's up for debate as I was reading about it. But what it is, is people desire more freedoms with their phone. They want to be able to download whatever app they want. They want to customize it because we enjoy our freedoms. You've heard of Alcatraz out in, outside of San Francisco. 
And uh, Alcatraz was a prison, and it boasted that it never had any prison breaks except for potentially a group of, I think, three or four men. And it's not been uh, told whether or not those guys successfully escaped because they were never found. Because, again, they wanted their freedom. Freedom is something that we hold dear. We, we, we value it. But, you know, freedom is something that, that's far beyond just the freedom of our country or something like that. You see, the Bible teaches that we are all born enslaved to sin. And that means that we do the things we don't want to do. And we know what we want to do, but we oftentimes fail to do it. And we look and say, what's going on in my heart? Because there's an enslavement there. And, and there's this, this roller coaster of life that we go through. And, and it becomes frustrating because oftentimes we don't realize that apart from Jesus, we're, we're slaves. We're in bondage. And even times when we are followers of Jesus, that, that there are times we just we feel enslaved. We feel that bondage. We feel like there's something just constricting us. And I don't know where you're at within those two spectrums today. But either you're one who's really battling bondage or enslavement as a Christian or as someone who doesn't know Jesus. Or you're one who is walking in freedom because of Jesus. But, but I want us to all be attentive today. Because at different times of our lives, we feel that weight of bondage. And we know people in our lives who are feeling the weight of bondage. And there's various kinds of chains. There's the chains of lust, the chains of fear, the chains of despair, the chains of your past, the chains of self-hate, and the chains of past abuse. And there's, there's all kinds of chains that can lock us up, and we feel constricted, and we want freedom. And we oftentimes look and say, God, where is the hope? And so we begin to despair we begin to just fear and feel a depression. And, and I, I want us to know that there, there is a freedom and hope that God does bring to us. There, there is a joy that he brings to all who know him. And so we want to talk about that. I want to talk about that today from the book of Mark, chapter 5. Because here we see a man who was enslaved in all kinds of bondage. And we might look at this man and say, that's not where I'm at. But by the end of this message, you'll say, that's right where I'm at. That's right where I've been. And I need Jesus just as bad as that man did. So we're in the book of Mark, chapter 5. I'm going to back up and start in chapter 4 just for giving us a context. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. There are yours if you don't own one. It's our gift to you. We want you to have God's word in your hands. And we're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark, chapter 5. That's towards the end of your Bible. And if you have the page number in the pew Bible, let us know. 840. I want us to back up to Mark, chapter 4, verse 35. And I preached about this last Sunday, the story of Jesus calming the storm. And we see in verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Jesus told his disciples, he says, You know what? It's been a long day for me. I've been teaching. I've been just, I've been pouring myself out. I need a break. I need to get away. Let's get in a boat. Let's cross the sea. Now, we're told here a time marker that's super important, I think, for our story today. And he says, What time of the day is it? What does it say? What does it say in verse 35? Evening, evening, which means the sun was setting. Darkness was arriving, and they get in this boat, and as we saw last week, 
they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and this tremendous storm starts shaking up the place. And they're like, what is going on? They're looking for help. They turn, and they see Jesus asleep on a cushion. And they wake him up saying, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't, don't you care that we're about to die in this boat that, by the way, Jesus, you told us to get into? That don't you care about this? And it tells us that Jesus woke up. He calmed the storm. The waves stopped. The winds stopped. And he looks at them and says, haven't you got faith? You, st- you still don't have faith? And, and that's the background to our story. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. So they finally make it across the sea like Jesus initially had told them to do. And by this time, I'd imagine it's probably the middle of the night. They left at evening. It's about a seven-mile distance from one shore to the next where they were going. Now they got caught up in a storm. Who knows how hard the winds were? So this may have taken them several hours, but we do know it wasn't daytime anymore. It was undoubtedly nighttime. And just imagine the joy of the disciples. After you're out in sea, you think you're about to get shipwrecked, you think your life is over. If I'm them, the first thing I want is to step on the ground. Get me out of the boat. Get me out of the water. Get me out of this predicament. Get me to land. And here in 5 verse 1, we say they get to land. And imagine this, the relief that overcame the disciples at that point. Thrilled that they had finally reached their destination. But we see here in verse 2 that the story takes quite a turn. I'm going to read verses 2 to 6 for you guys. And when Jesus has stepped out of the boat, he just put his foot out. Immediately, say immediately. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, which is biblical language for a demon-possessed man. The disciples are like, can we get a break here? Like seriously, we just got on the land. What is this going on? And then we see this description in verse 3. This man, he lived among the tombs, and no one, can you say no one? No one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often, say it, had been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, say it had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always, say it, always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. What a sad circumstance. This is hardly a description of a human being. Look what, look what we see here. We, we see a man in bondage. A man who is consumed by something other than himself. He is a man with an unclean spirit. It's important, family, for us to understand that Satan is real. Demonic forces are real. And Satan desires to attack, and for those who don't know Jesus, he desires to possess and control in order to bring about his plans. And what are his plans? Well, other than Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to 
steal and kill and destroy. That is the enemy. Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against an army of people. But we fight against spiritual forces and rulers and cosmic powers in this present darkness. John 8, 44, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil and you will do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. You see, Jesus tells us that Satan is about murder, death, killing, destroying, and he does it through lying. And when we see this man in Mark 5, I start asking, what kind of lies did he begin to believe? What kind of lies began to consume this man that he came to this place of great bondage? The first lie I see in this text is that he began to believe that death is better than life. Death is, br- is better than life. And so ultimately, surround yourself with death. We see this man came out of the disciples from the tombs. I mean, just imagine this. They're getting off the boat. They're cold. They're wet. They're tired. They're trying to figure out what just happened when Jesus told the storm to stop. They get out of the boat, and this man comes running at them. He's not just a man. He's a de- demon-possessed man coming out of the graveyard, and later we find out he's naked, having cut himself, so he's probably bleeding, running at them at nighttime. Like Stephen King couldn't write that. I mean, talk about what horror. They're like, get back in the boat. I don't care what's out in the sea. Get me back in this boat. Jesus, what are you doing? You told us to come here. And we see that they were confronted with a man who thought that death was better than life. You know, in our lives, there are times we begin to hear those whispers. That death is better than life. And that just doesn't add up. Yes, on the one hand, as children of God, one day when we leave this body, we will experience life like we've never done it. And in that sense, Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. But death is not better than life in that we desire death because we're sick of life. Or we begin to surround ourselves with death because we feel like we have no meaning and purpose. And this man had begun to get to that place. And so often we begin to believe those lies and we begin to spiral. We surround ourselves with death. With what we listen to and what we watch and what we see and what we do. Because we've already begun to believe a lie. That your life isn't worth it. Clearly, this man began to believe that. He was not only coming out of the tombs, but we're told in verse 3, he lived among the tombs. He lived in a graveyard. He believed Satan's lie, number one, that death is better than life. But there's a second lie that he began to believe, and that is, you are not worth it. You're not worth anything. We hear those whispers in our lives at various times. And different things can trigger it. For this man, undoubtedly, it was the very fact that people tried to bind him. And it says no one could bind him anymore. They tried often to do it. No one had the strength to subdue him. And so what did they do? They cast him out. And you know, there's times in life 
Just like this man, we feel like, you know what? People have tried. I've tried. People have given up. And I've given up. And if they've given up and I've given up, then by default, God must have given up on me. And we believe that lie that we're not worth it anymore. And that we're worth, not worth anything. We're not worth people's time. We're not worth people's prayers. We're not worth people's love. We're not worth people's attention. And we have this perception of ourselves. We begin to just feel like we're, we're worthless. And this man, his situation felt that way. Worthless. He gave up. A third lie Satan undoubtedly told him was that misery is your destiny. This is just your life. You're meant to be miserable forever. Look there in verse 5. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out. Can you imagine that? He just would cry. He would cry out. He would scream. This is me. I'm miserable. This is my life. Maybe you felt that way before. Misery was your destiny. Maybe you don't cry out on the mountaintop, but you cry out in your bedroom. And you're saying, God, there's nothing here for me. This, this, is, this is my plight in life, is to be miserable forever. Family, I want you to hear this. These are lies from Satan. These are lies. Because these lies brought this man to the tombs, to death. And that is not our God. But ultimately, the greatest lie this man began to believe was to go ahead and hate yourself and hurt yourself. Look there in verse 5. Not only was he crying out night and day, but it says he was cutting himself with stones. He was cutting himself with stones. Satan tells us, hate yourself, hurt yourself, because he wants to destroy you. There's a reason Peter says that he goes about roaming like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Lions don't pet people. They devour their prey. And Satan wants to devour you, and oftentimes you are his instrument to devour you. You know, self-hate is something that's just so prevalent in our culture. A Huffington Post writer, Anneli Rufus, says it is a secret epidemic in our culture. A secret epidemic. And there are so many different forms of self-hate in our society, but we see that their root is from the enemy who wants to destroy us. Of course he wants you to hate yourself because he hates you. And there are so many things that cause this. But what we see, especially among our youth, is this pressure in life that begins to consume. And our young people oftentimes begin to cut themselves. I want to speak to you today, our youth, brothers, sister. If you begin to believe the lie that you're of no worth and that cutting yourself is the answer, you've begun to fall into Satan's trap to destroy you. That's not God's plan for you. Cutting is a real problem because it promises that causing pain will numb the pain. But it doesn't deliver that for any sustained periods. And there's so many things that can cause that. And 
for those of us who've never struggled with that, you might feel like it just doesn't add up and make sense, but it makes a lot of sense when you're in that moment, when you feel like you don't fit in, when you feel this overwhelming sense of emptiness, when there's no purpose, when you feel like you're a failure, when you've been bullied by your peers, when you suffer loss, when you suffer abuse, when you get on social media and everyone's happy, and you just think, I'm not. See, we try to numb the pain. And oftentimes it's through cutting or other destructive kind of habits. And sometimes even our own friends will tell us to go ahead and do it because that's how they've found solace in the midst of their hurt. But family, this is not going to bring us peace. This man cut himself while he lived among the tombs, crying all day and night as a slave. Sometimes self-hate goes into the extremist of thoughts of taking one's own life. The suicidal thoughts begin to enter our lives because, again, we think death is better than life. We begin to believe these lies. If you are at a place where you've begun to hate yourself, I just plead with you. We're going to talk in a moment that God breathes life, and he has nothing but love. And so we want you to know that there is hope beyond the pain that you feel. And if you want to consider taking your life, don't do it. Reach out to somebody. Talk to a school counselor. Talk to a parent. Talk to your pastor. Talk to your friend. Say, I'm struggling with life. And seek help. And there's nothing wrong with seeking help. Because your life is of great value. And when we begin to believe otherwise, and when we begin to get these destructive habits. So sometimes our self-hate leads us into the darkest of places, as it led this man here on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes our enslavements are something altogether different than self-hate. Sometimes we're enslaved to the opinions of other people, and we're just so afraid what others are going to think about us. With every picture we post, we want to make sure it's all in line because we don't want them to think anything. When we leave the house, we're so consumed with self saying, what are people going to say about how I'm dressed or what I'm wearing or how I speak or on and on and on. And we're just consumed by the opinions of others and we're enslaved to it. Sometimes we're enslaved to to our own addictions. Sometimes it's alcoholism. We just drink away our sorrow. One after the other, after the other, thinking it'll put it away. And yes, we can numb the pain temporarily, but it doesn't remain. There's other kinds of addictions from popping pills, painkillers. See, this is all part of Satan's agenda to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Sometimes our enslavements are sexual. We, we desire it, and we're in bondage to it. Sometimes it's pornography. I, I see Proverbs 7, and every time I read this, I see a man in bondage. But this is true for men and women alike with pornography and different kinds of sexual addictions. And here we see this seduction in Proverbs 7, and, and we hear these sometimes. We think, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm lured in by these words. Proverbs seven seventeen says, I... The, the seductress says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. And then she says, for my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. And 
At full moon, he will come home, which means a long time from now. And then the proverb says this. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And here, this is where bondage comes out. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. And it says, this will cost him his life. Bondage is such that we just go with the flow. We feel like we can't get out. And there's this path that leads to destruction. Bondage to fear. Bondage to our pace of life. And ultimately, it's bondage to sin. Church family, these, these are weighty matters. And we, we need to be those who aggressively seek help and wholeness and restoration. Sometimes we need to see a counselor who loves the Lord and give us biblical direction. And that's okay. That's good. Sometimes we might need some medical help, and that's okay. Seek the help you need from those who love you. But all the time what we need is a dose of the gospel. That there is a God in the heavens whose love is unconditional. And we need to be reminded of this. Satan speaks the lies. But glory to God that Jesus has come to bring the truth. It says here in the passage that the man came and ran and fell at the feet of Jesus. And in verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, he said to Jesus, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He knew him. Knew his identity because it was the demonic forces speaking. And he goes on to say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And hear the wordplay. He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He speaks from the singular, my name is, and gets into the plural, for we are many. The word legion is a Roman military term that speaks of four to 6,000 soldiers in a Roman army. And this demonic force was essentially saying there is a lot evil going taking place in this man's life. Thousands of demonic forces consuming this man to the point where it's not even he that speaks. My name is Legion, for we are many. That is not the man, it is the demon. Jesus had been telling him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. But it hadn't happened yet. And so we're asking, Jesus, what's going on here? Is it like, is this really hard for you? Is this an extra difficult kind of demon? Well, if Jesus spoke the word into existence, he's not here put up against the wall by this man. But as we see throughout the Bible, Jesus asks questions. He engages in dialogue, not because he's trying to figure things out, but he wants those around to see what's taking place. And his disciples are on the seashore right there, seeing this man, knowing what's going on, and finding out this man is possessed by a legion of demons. This man is coming to see that he's possessed by a legion of demons. And in a few moments, we'll find out that there are herdsmen watching what's taking place as well. And Jesus says, I want you guys all to know what is happening. I want you to know how in bondage this man is. 
because I want you to see what I'm about to do. Church family, you might feel like you are in such bondage to your hatred of yourself and all kinds of addictions. But see this man's plight and hear some hope. Jesus isn't asking questions to find out. He's asking questions to show us what's going on. The demon begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding on the hillside. The irony is that pigs are unclean animals in the Jewish culture. And they begged him, saying, this is the demon speaking, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and I believe again to help them see the extent of this man's bondage. Because what happens here, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. Jesus wants them all to see That was in this man. That was in him. He was a slave. And Jesus here frees him. He releases him from the bondage that he found us in, found him in, and gives him life. The demons exit this man. They they depart. They go into these pigs. They're gone. And I'm like you, like, Well, what's next? I want to see what's going on with this dude. Well, we see here in verse 14 that the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. Those pigs had herdsmen that were watching over them. All of a sudden, their flock just takes off. And naturally, yeah, they're pretty upset. And so they run into town and be like, hey, guys, look, you know that guy by the tombs? You got to see what happened you got to come and check this out. Verse 15, they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. When was the last time they saw that? But see what the next words say? And they were afraid. They were afraid. They're like, we couldn't hold this man down with chains And now there's one who was here that released him with a word? They were afraid. Jesus is powerful, church. And either we're going to put ourselves under his authority and gladly make him the Lord of our lives, or we're going to keep fighting against him and send him away. Look what the herdsmen and the people of the city do. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Jesus, get out of here, they said. We want nothing to do with you. This, This is too much. But what about the man? What about the man who was freed? It says there in verse 18, as he was getting, Jesus was getting into the boat, The man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. He just said, Jesus, you've given me life. And he begged him, can I just go with you? Probably speaking his own words for the first time, maybe years. And he just said, Jesus, can I go with you? You notice it says that he begged him. Four times in this passage, Jesus is begged. 
Verse 10, the demons beg him to send him away. Verse 12, the demons beg him to go to the pig. Verse 17, the people beg Jesus to leave. And here this man begs Jesus to go with him. Jesus, can I go with you? I just, you, you saved me. Where else can I go but with you, Jesus? But hear what Jesus says to him in verse 19, family. He doesn't let him. Verse 19, and he did not permit him. Jesus said, you can't come with me. And the guy's like, really? What's going on? Jesus, you just saved me. What am I supposed to do? And this is the purpose that God gives us, church. He says to him, Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is a Gentile city, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. See, this man was freed from in order to be freed to. He was freed from slavery in order to be freed to God's purpose in his life. And you see, when the the bondage and chains of life and of self-hate and of despair begin to consume us, we think we have no purpose. But here Jesus says, no, through me I can bring you deliverance and give you something to live for. Death is not better than life. You have a purpose. Here is the gospel hope when we feel self-hate, when we feel condemned. Jesus tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we feel like we can't be free, remember Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. When we feel like our identity is bound up in people's opinions, remember it is God who determines your value and worth. When you say, I can't experience joy, that this misery is my plight. Remember, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus has come to bring joy. When you feel like your life isn't worth it, remember that Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you feel like God has left you, remember Jesus says, I will never leave or forsake you. I give you my presence When you wonder if God cares, remember that he sent his Holy Spirit, the comforter, to be with you in your time of need. And when you don't feel loved by God, remember this, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. This is the gospel hope in our time of need. So when Satan begins to speak lies, hold on to the truth that you are loved by Almighty God and His Son has spilled His blood to give you a life and to give you a hope that goes beyond this life and you can live today in joy, true joy. When we see this man, we got to come to grips that we are all not too very far from Him because we're born enslaved to our sin powerless to make any decision away from that. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses. We were the zombies. We were the walking dead. And yet it is Jesus who has saved us. John Calvin says this, the great reformer and theologian. He says, though we are not tortured by the devil, yet he holds us as his slaves till the Son of God delivers us 
from his tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wander about until Jesus restores us to soundness of mind. I don't know what your bondage is today. I don't know what holds you down. But I want you to know that Jesus has come to bring a reversal of that bondage. Where Satan says death is better than life, Jesus says I've given you life. Where Satan says misery is your destiny, Jesus gives us a new purpose. When Satan says hate yourself and hurt yourself, God says you are loved infinitely and eternally. And when Satan says you have no worth, hear this, family. This to me is often missed in this text, but I feel like the hope hinges on it. Let's look at verse 21, family. Jesus sends this man out to go tell his family and friends how much God has done for him. In verse 21, what does Jesus do? When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, he got back in the boat. Family, I need you to hear me here. I need your attention here. Remember in 435, Jesus said, it's evening. Let's get into the boat. We've got somewhere to go. He crossed the Sea of Galilee for a man in bondage. Freedom. And went back. When you feel you have no worth, the Son of God has left his throne in heaven to come to this earth to save you, to free you from your bondage. So don't hate yourself. God has loved you infinitely. He didn't cross the sea for you. He spent eternity for you. He left his throne. He left the right hand of the Father for you. He took on this flesh for you. He walked this earth for you. He took your sin to free you. So you are not condemned. This is our God, family. That's why we say we're no longer slaves. And so when you don't feel like you have worth, don't believe it. So often those who battle self-hate feel like God hates them and condemns them. But that's what the Bible says of the devil, not of God. And so don't believe it. Jesus brings a reversal. He's come to give you life. And he's given you a purpose so that now when you put your faith in Jesus and you receive his forgiveness, he gives you a purpose and he tells you, go home. Tell your friends and tell them, your family, how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. And so we go out and we say, this was where I was at. These are the things I battled. And yes, I'm not perfect. I still fight. But I've got an identity that's bound up in Jesus. I need to tell you about him. Family, go home and tell your family what God has done for you. This is why I love the image of finding a piece of furniture in the alley. You know, someone said, it doesn't fit in my house anymore. I have no longer a use for it. 
and they throw it into the alley as trash. And I know it, and I love it, you repurposers out there. You pick it up out of the dump, and you, you sand it down. You restain it, you repaint it, you refurbish it, and you give it a value that was once lost, and now people are paying money for it because it's valuable. What was once of no worth has great value, and that's what God does. He is the great repurposer. We feel like we're in the alley of life that people have given up on us, that we're trash, that we're in the dump. And God is saying, I found you there. While you were there, Christ died for you to pull you up and to give you worth and value. This is what Jesus has done. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean sinless perfection. It doesn't mean you're not going to battle depression ever. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have dark thoughts. No. That's going to happen because we live in a broken world. We're broken people, and we're not always perfectly loving God. But this is what freedom in Christ means. It means that I am counted sinless and forgiven because of Jesus. And so you're free. It means that God has given you a new heart. And so you're free. It means that you're growing in holiness. You haven't arrived. You're in the fight because you're free, because you can fight, and you're growing. It means that when I do sin, I repent because I'm not a slave to sin. I'm free, and I can repent. I can turn. I can ask God's forgiveness and receive his restoration. When I'm free, it means I'm not okay with when I fall. I'm, I'm not okay, and I want to get back up on my feet, and I'm going to seek help. When I'm free, it means that I can have victory, that I don't have to wallow in guilt and shame. It means I can cling to the cross, and it means I can have joy. That's what freedom means. And as I said at the beginning, some of us are in the place where we need to hear all these truths, that there is a God who loves. And for others of us, there are people in our lives who need to hear these things. And this is why we must be those who pursue others. And see them in their brokenness and in their hurt and say, hey, you're not forgotten. And ultimately point them to the Heavenly Father who never, ever, ever forgets us. We desire a jailbreak from sin. We desire our release from the Alcatraz of fear. But God has emancipated us, family. January 1st, 1863. Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of the Civil War, in a single stroke, he changed the federal legal status of more than 3 million enslaved people in the designated areas of the South. He changed them from slave to free. The proclamation was based on the president's constitutional authority as commander-in-chief of the armed forces, and it was not a law passed by Congress. You see, we can't be freed by a law from our sin. But God, with one swift word through the atoning work of his son, has declared us free. He has pronounced us free by his authority as the God of this universe. So we are not slaves. And though, yes, we battle, though, yes, we fight, and though, yes, we sometimes feel consumed, your identity is free in Christ Jesus. Church family, hear this. He still breaks chains. He still breaks chains. 
as we close in this last song, church, I want us to let's keep our hearts stilled. I want you to search your heart. Say, God, am I, am I in bondage? God, have I given up this fight? Have I, have I begun to believe some of these lies of Satan? And I just, I want us to invite us, come forward here to the altar. And as we sing this last song, let the declarations that we sing, that we've been raised to life, be your battle cry. Or maybe there's someone you need to pray that for, and you need to cry out on their behalf. Let's be a church that lifts up our voices for the hope of freedom. We'll have prayer counselors in the front and in the back. Talk to somebody. Let them pray with you. Counselors, let's join people at the altar when we come forward. Let's pray together. Let's lift up each other because our God is worth it. And we want him to receive all the glory that he deserves in the deliverance of his people. And lastly, maybe maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you are the one who hears the clinking and clanging of your chains as you walk the corridors of your home. We want today to be your day of freedom. And if you got a stirring in your heart, and I pray he is, would you just come to one of our prayer leaders and say, hey, I don't know where to go from here, but I feel like God wants to free me. I need to know his forgiveness. I, I need to know his restoration. I want to turn from my sin and receive his forgiveness. Come to one of our prayer leaders. And I know they would be glad to walk you through this, gla- this gospel that declares that you are free. So worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we still our hearts for just a moment, God, just a moment. God, help us weigh through the lies. God, help us weed them out, God. God, help us see them for what they are. Satan is a liar and a murderer, the father of lies, and he acts out of his own character, which is to destroy. Father, for any who are here today, be it a youth who is battling self-hate, be it another man or woman battling addiction, be it another who's, who's just struggling with despair and fear, feeling in bondage to sin, God, we pray for release, God. We pray for freedom, Lord. And may that come through repentance for those who have never done so. May they just come say, God, forgive me. For others who are just battling, say, God, I trust you. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you for hope. And so, Lord, for those who need to repent, let them repent. For those who need to hold fast, let them hold fast. For all of us, God. Yes, Lord, you crossed the sea. You crossed eternity. Lord, you still do it to break chains. You do it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Church families, rise to our feet together.
Let's sing that chorus one more time. Raise to life. Just the voices. Raise to life with Christ, the Savior in his name. A new creation now. A song will rise. Adoring Christ the God, we believe you. God, we believe that you are God who breaks chains. And Lord, we know that frail as we are, God, that this life is going to be a fight. There'll be times of great victory. And there'll be valleys. There'll be hardships. We will fail. We will fail. But God, I pray that we would rise back up, not because of us, but because of Jesus who has saved us. And that we would learn to walk in repentance, to walk in freedom, to walk in hope, to walk out of our identity in Christ. So, Lord, keep us on your mission, we pray. Yes, Father, do this, we pray. Church, let's sing Raise to Life again. Let's sing that chorus again. And let's sing it with confidence believing the truthfulness of these words. If this is your song, sing it, church. Raised to life.
this. This is our hope. Glory to God for his goodness. Church family, as you go about this week, stand up for somebody. Tell them. Tell them about the hope in Christ. Go and tell your friends and family how much God has done for you. How he's had mercy on you. And tell them that God can free them from their sin, from their shame, from their bondage. Let's make this known, church. Let's make this known. In a moment, I'm going to dismiss you. Please join us downstairs. Let's keep talking about what God is teaching us and showing us as a family. And we have this hope from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be our glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. Amen, Brooke family. You are dismissed. Please join us downstairs.